0: We are in Hebrews chapter 11, we continue our series called the Hall of Faith. And as we continue working through this chapter we find that the author of Hebrew has been led by the Holy Spirit to uh, give us examples from the individuals of the Old Testament by which God commended them for their faith. And the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that apart from faith it is impossible for us to please God. And so as we look at this chapter, which we've called the Hall of Faith, and of course we're paralleling that after a Hall of Fame, these different inductees that we are looking at, we can learn something from each of their lives. And as we've been making our way through the chapter, we have seen that faith is a reality. It's more than just a feeling. It is a reality that allows us to proceed forward even when the circumstances are not all uh, apparent to us. It allows us to move forward in the trust of God. It allows us to move forward knowing that God is there and that he is real and that he is active in our personal individual lives. This morning we come to an individual named Abraham. Abraham is a fundamental foundational individual throughout the Old and New Testament. Abraham was the individual in whom God called to leave his homeland, to leave his family, to leave everything that he knew, to then pilgrim to a land in which God would give not only to him, but to his descendants more specifically. And though Abraham was obedient and he left at the call of God to go where God would have him to go, He only resided in the land in which God promised to him as a pilgrim, as a sojourner. He never personally owned any of the land except the small portion in which he purchased for the burial, the death of his wife, Sarah. But Abraham wasn't concerned for himself, per se. He was looking at the big picture. He saw that this was the beginning of God doing a great work in and through him. And though he only got to personally, physically, here on this earth, experience the, the inception and the beginning of that process, he still obeyed as if the process would be completely fulfilled within his lifetime. It's an extraordinary example for us. All of us at some point in another can identify with the person of Abraham. Abraham gives us within this account this morning a real strong illustration of what it means to uh, become a Christian and to follow after God. And as we make our way through the text this morning, again we are reminded that these individuals have been... uh, Highlighted for us for the purpose of learning to be examples for us. And the same faith that they exercise is the same faith that we can exercise today. Because we have the same God. It is not the size of my faith, it is not the depth of my faith that is uh important in, in the equation, it's in whom my faith is attached to that is important. And my understanding of that, in our case, him. The reason I say it that way is because everybody has attached faith to something. If you drove here this morning, you are placing your faith in a man-made created automobile or an SUV or a motorcycle, uh, if you are daring to ride this morning. You have trusted that when you sat upon that motorcycle or climbed within that car, that turning the ignition would start a process that would move about 16,000 different moving parts to allow that vehicle to start and to run and to move you forward. That's faith. Faith, you took the key, you put it in, and you turned the ignition. That's faith. You had trust in that car. Everybody has faith in something. When you are in a building that has an elevator and you are at the bottom floor and you wish to get to the top floor, you sit there and you press a button, right? And then if the elevator is not readily available, you wait for that elevator to descend to come and pick you up and then take you to the floor in which you wish to to proceed. That's faith, all of it from beginning to end. You have faith that the elevator is going to come down. You have faith that the elevator doors is going to open. You have faith that the elevator is, going to, is capable of taking you to the floor in which you want to proceed. Everybody can a- exercise a degree of faith. But what you have faith in makes all the difference in the world. For example, that same elevator illustration in which I gave you. If you went to the buttons... And you started pushing all of them in hopes that one of those buttons would take you through the glass ceiling over the, c- the city of Chicago, spinning around in Willy Wonka, giving you the chocolate factory. Now, you know that that particular elevator that you are in is not created to do that. So you most likely wouldn't proceed looking for that button, even though that red one that says emergency is always so tempting, isn't it? <laughs> See, it's the understanding of who we have faith in or what we have faith in that allows us to proceed forward. In all of these illustrations, it's not the individual. These are all ordinary individuals that were used by God in an extraordinary way because they were willing to trust God for who He is. Uh, They didn't uh, put God in a box, per se, in the sense that They limited God to what they were personally capable of doing. Because God is so much greater than our personal capabilities, isn't he? And that's why he's God and we're not. So Abraham now is approached by God. And the pattern continues that we've seen from the beginning. God approaches someone, gives him his word, gives them his word, I should say. They are stirred within to obey it. They then obey it and God commends them for it. So let us begin by reading verse 8 and 9, 10 together. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the promise, I'm sorry, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This is a highlight of an excerpt that we find back in Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 if you'll make your way there. This is where the story is given to us. The account of these events is given to us. It begins in the first book of the Bible. So if you hit the index, turn right uh, and you'll find the book of Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. These are the uh, this is the account of God approaching uh, Abraham for the purpose of calling him out to become a people unto God. In verse 1 of chapter 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your, kinyard, kinyard, your father and your father's house to a land that I will show you, And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The New Testament continually reminds us that it was Abraham's act of obedience that God counted as righteous. He gave the righteousness unto Abraham for his faith and belief and obedience to the call of God that God placed upon his life. And as a result, Abraham became this illustration throughout the New Testament, Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, etc., uh, the book of James, as an individual who by faith pleased God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Romans says it this clearly Romans 4 3. For what does the scripture say? Paul writes Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. James went on a little further to say, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So Abraham here is now approached by God. We, we have an understanding that he was towards, uh, you know, he was an older gentleman at this time. He knew his uh, area very well, Ur, er, the Chaldeans is where he lived and dwelled with his family. His father was still alive relatives, etc., family, and God says to him, I want you to leave it all behind and come and follow me. For I will make you a great blessing to all the nations. He says, I will show you into a land that I will have for you, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who dishonor you. And though the promise is enormous in which God makes to Abraham, let's be honest, there is a degree of ambiguity and vagueness to it all. For he doesn't know where the land is. It is a true uh, step of faith in which Abraham is taking on behalf of this call of God upon his life. He doesn't know how it's all going to play out. He doesn't have the details before him. He doesn't understand a timeline in which God is going to make all of this come to pass as God has promised that he would in this case. And yet Abraham proceeded and to, followed God. And the Bible tells us that when he heard the call of god he began to obey immediately it says in the hebrew while it was still in his ears it's the literal translation of one of the hebrew words he obeyed immediately it didn't seem as if he questioned what god was calling him to do now there is much to c- consider is his, his uh, life as an individual was he a pagan before that most likely he was most likely being in the Ur, Ur of Chaldeans that he was uh, an idolater, he, he worshipped other idols. But then the call of God came upon his life and he just immediately uh, uh, was obedient and moved with God and allowed God to lead him each and every step of the way. And though the future was uncertain in its detail, it was clear in the promise in which God had made to him. And that promise that God made to him, even though the details were not given and there was a degree of ambiguity, Abraham still took it as a certainty that allowed him to move forward. Now Abraham is focused on quite heavily here in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, and rightfully so. The Hebrew writer wants all of us to learn from him, especially those Jewish individuals who had become Christians who were reading this letter in the first century. For initially, in Acts chapter 2, it says that when the church began there in Jerusalem, God did a great work, and a number of individuals were coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And then there's this small portion of the verse there in 44 I believe it is or 46 of chapter 2 where it says and they had favor with all the people there in Jerusalem. It was a good thing. Uh, People were looking at this new movement of God as a good thing initially. And so the Jews who became Christians saw this and understood it and they became part of this new body and they became brand new in Jesus Christ and all that he had promised and then yet something changed a great persecution began to be waged by the religious leaders against this new group that was forming that we know as the church Christianity etc. and this persecution forced them out of Jerusalem in the book of Acts you see this it forced them out of Jerusalem and their home land and so forth and they became the portion of the dispersa, those who were dispersed amongst the uh, outlying nations of Asia Minor and now they were truly in a vast minority amongst the the, the, the pagans of those cities and of those countries. And I use that word to defer them from Jewish and uh, Gentile pagan and believer, etc. It's not a derogatory term, it's just that they did not believe in the one true God. And as the minority, they lost all their wealth, they lost uh, their rights, they uh, really now were in a place of minority and of persecution. And many of them were considering going back to Judaism. See, Judaism had already become a, a custom to the Roman Empire. And so, even though they were monotheistic and they didn't want to worship and bow to Caesar, um, The Jews, I mean the Romans understood the Jewish individuals and so there was a a palatability to it. They, They allowed it to continue, they didn't see it as that big of an issue. But this Christianity, now that's something different because the individual who is the head of this Christianity says he's the king of kings, lord of lords. He placed himself in a position far above that of Caesar. And these Christians absolutely would not at any cost bend a knee to worship Caesar as a deity at that time. And so not only did the wave of persecution originate with the religious leaders there in Jerusalem that pushed them out into the uh, Gentile regions of Asia Minor, then uh, the emperor started coming down upon them also through the weight of the Roman Empire and the Roman army. Uh, And so Christians now were at a very strong disadvantage and they said well listen i don't know if i need this anymore i'm just going to go back to judaism Uh, it's uh, what what am i suffering for i I don't understand this what am i giving my life for why have i lost all my material uh, goods and so forth what's the point what's the point of going forward at least back then i knew where i stood back then but now going forward i have absolutely no clue at where I stand and how it'll proceed going forward. And so the writer of Hebrews reminds them of Abraham saying, look, Abraham was obedient to God as God called him out of Ur of Chaldean and allowed God to take him each and every step of the way. God often doesn't telegraph us and tell us what he's going to do before he does it. He just asks us to trust him as we take the next step and the next step and the next step. And he often doesn't tell us, if ever, what we can expect. He says, just trust me, I'm taking you all of the way. And in the process, though, he's preparing us. He's changing us from the inside out. He's helping us to grow and to develop in our faith in him as we take each step one step at a time. Abraham could have declined or Pursued this calling and he chose to pursue this obedient r- obedience in which he displays for us resonated throughout the Old Testament and New Testament and became the pinnacle example of one who is moved by faith as again I had mentioned earlier he obeyed when the words of God were still ringing within his ears and he was given this promise of inheritance but Details were sketchy at best. There was no timeline given to the process. Now, again, God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. And from this you would maybe get the picture and you're maybe already saying to yourself, well listen, I could never do that. If God called me right now and, and to leave everything I know to follow Him in some way, First of all, I would have to make sure that it was God and I would encourage you to do the same. But I don't know if I could ever do that like Abraham did it. That's a huge step. It seems like a risk and a gamble. Again, that would be a conclusion uh, by a person who really doesn't know God. If God calls me to do something and take a step out in faith, that's not a gamble at all. Even though I may not know where that next step may lead me, he already does and that's good enough for me i just need to trust him now at this moment but abraham wasn't perfect if you go back to the book of genesis you'll discover that he didn't leave all by himself he took family members with him his dad and his his uh, his nephew lot and so forth and they left and they got as far as haran which wasn't far enough that's not where god would have had him And it wasn't until his father died there in Haran that then Abraham took the next step but still wasn't perfectly obedient. He took Lot with him and Lot became a problem at the end of it all. God would have spared him all of that, but he decided that he knew better than God. And it shows me that, you know, we are all works in progress, aren't we? We don't do it perfectly from the beginning. We grow as Christians. And the Word tells us and instructs us to do certain things, and let's be honest, uh, we, be, we may begin to do them, but sometimes we don't do them as God would have us to do them, to its full extent. Uh, we do a little bit at a time. And we grow in our faith, we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the frailty of man working against the fallen condition in which we find ourselves which we have been released from in the new life that Jesus Christ has given us. But we know that the old wrestles against the new and the new wrestles against the old. But what's interesting to me that when it comes to the book of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer doesn't seem to focus on the mistakes of Abraham. And Abraham made mistakes. He wasn't perfect. But when it was all said and done, God commended him. God understands your frailties. He understands your weaknesses. He knows that it grieves your heart when you fail Him and you know it's because of a weakness of your flesh. It's something that you don't want to do, but the weakness of your flesh does it anyway. You know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. God knows us. And there's a lot of grace, guys. There's a lot of grace. It's not that this grace is condoning our sin. Don't take it that way. But we have a heavenly father that when we fall doesn't get on top of us and say, what is your problem? Would you just walk as you were meant to walk? You know, when Autumn was born, if I had that kind of mentality and she started, you know, pushing herself up and crawling in the living room, you know, that's like me standing over her and saying, is that the best you got? God gave you two legs, now walk on them. I don't care you're only four weeks old, get up, you know. And then when she got up eventually and then she fell down, I'm like, what's wrong with you? No, those little legs had to be uh, strengthened and they had to get going and they had to get moving, right? She had to get her balance and so forth. God understands our frailties and our weaknesses. It's not condoning sin, he's not approving of our carnal nature he's basically saying i understand and here's grace now let's walk together and when we fall like peter he's the first one to offer us a hand to get back up again he's the first one to reach down and says i know let's get up again he won't let us lay there and wallow in our sorrows he gets us up again because there's no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus And he says, let's walk again. So Abraham, you know, it wasn't perfect, but we're remembering this now and we see it. And God said he was obedient and that obedience, uh, I counted to him as righteousness. He believed me and I accounted it to him as righteousness. One wrote, he said, the last half of this verse is a classical statement of obedience of faith. Men like to know where they are going. And to choose their way. But the way forward can be obscure. Abraham was one who could go out knowing that it was right to do so. But not knowing where it would lead him. And when we come to verse 9 of chapter 11, we find that he now makes his way into the land. But even though that he is the rightful possessor of it and that God will eventually give it to the people who descend from him. He initially lives within it as a, pilgrimage, as a pilgrim or one who is a sojourner. Verse 9. Now by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. Though it was his, rightfully, God was going to give it to him eventually, that is his people. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, even his son and grandson, who were heirs of the same promise with him, did not realize or to experience the occupation or the inheritance of this land for themselves. So God brings them out. Now He brings them into the land. And now it would appear by those who are currently dwelling in this land of Canaan, in which God is giving to Abraham's uh, descendants. Of course, this is some time later after they uh, start to multiply, a famine comes about, Joseph precedes them into Egypt, then they follow Joseph into Egypt, they're reunited with their brother Joseph, you know the story, and then of course, 400 years later, they are led out by the person of Moses as a mighty people to once again now take the land in which God has given them. But did they take it perfectly? No, of course, unbelief kept them out once again. And they wandered for 40 years and so forth. And you see this consistency through the inability of individuals to fully obey God. But in the process of this all, here's what it shows me. Now when we leave and we are obedient to God in our walk with Him, and we walk with Him by faith, often before the promises are realized, it may look worse before it gets better. He is there the rightful owner, but as a sojourner, as one who is a pilgrim, it would have been apparent to everybody who was uh, a resident of that land, uh, one who is a native of that land, that these individuals were different by the manner in which they talked, by the manner in which they uh, lived and so forth. They knew that they were nomads, that they really didn't have a land or a country and that they were simply moving through. The perspective was completely the opposite of that of God's. These people felt that they were the owners of the land, but God was the one who was giving this land to Abraham and his descendants. And of course, this is the land of Israel today that we talk about. And the conflict and the difficulties that Israel is facing all stem from a decision that Abraham made not to wait on the promise of God for a son but to conceive one through his handmaiden Hagar named Ishmael that all the Islamic nations have branched from. And now Isaac, the one who God has chosen, the one that the promise would then continue through became the individual that then gave birth to Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons and those sons became the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, the same nation that we see on our maps today. but sometimes when we walk with God it gets better or it gets worse before it gets better. And we don't understand that. You know, we feel that there's a promise given and God is going to fulfill that promise. But one of the statements that the book of Hebrews makes to us is that the individuals highlighted for us often were given a promise but personally never saw the realization of that promise. It was their descendants sometime later that actually realized and was partook within the fulfillment of the promise so as we walk with God let us have realistic expectations that as an individual it may get worse before it gets better but I'm not therefore to discount the promises of God or the call of God upon my life simply because my circumstances have become more difficult in life I can't do that. I would be incorrect in doing so and I probably therefore would start making grave uh decisional errors if I started acting upon what I thought was happening and not trusting God to allow him to fulfill all that he was going to do through the leading and the guiding of the promises in which he has made to us. It is very important that as Christians we understand that we are not exempt from difficulties. We are not exempt from trials, troubles, and tribulations. We are not exempt from the conditions of this fallen world. But God is with us and will never leave us nor forsake us through any of that time. And though Abraham may seem to have been a stranger to all who witnessed him and those who were with him there as they sojourned and pilgrimed in the land of Canaan, to God, it was a completely different perspective. God said, Abraham, you're exactly where I want you to be. Now wait on me. Just wait on me. I'm going to bring it all to pass in my time, my way. The second thing, not only will it sometimes get more difficult before it gets better, but let us please do one thing today. If you have a life timeline, may I strongly encourage you to crumple it up and throw it out. God's timeline is often never our time. In fact, um, I would venture to say that it's never ever our timeline. You know, we may have a personal timeline for our lives and, and God just got to snicker. look at that, it's cute. They have no idea. I'm going to do it completely different. It's going to blow them away when i do it but oh are they in for a shock we all have timelines we have goals that we set objectives that we want to accomplish and there's nothing wrong with that as long as we allow for the deletion and the editing of that timeline uh, to be done by god through the course of our walks and our journeys with him God may just, you know, erase it and so forth. And sometimes the way he works, though, is so extraordinary. I think of Moses, you know. When Moses realized that he was a a Jewish gentleman and he was a Jewish young man, he tried to take the lead in which he thought God was leading him to do, and rightfully so, God was leading him to do it. But he did it in the wrong way. He did it outside the timeline of God, And he tried to do it in his own human strength. And it it turned out to be a disaster. So he was exiled from Egypt, the Bible tells us. And he goes out into the the wilderness and into the uh, the, uh, next to the the side of Mount Sinai. And he was there and waiting on God. And in 40 years he waited. And then when he was 80, you know, retirement, you know, he's looking for the best piece of land on the golf course. God said to him, appeared to him in a burning bush. He says, okay, now you're ready. Let's go back. What? What? Now? God waited until Moses was completely incapable in his own human ability, his own physical ability to deliver the children of Israel. And the very first thing that you realize when you read the account of the burning bush in Moses is that Moses now makes excuse after excuse why he cannot do what God is asking him to do. And God basically says, I'm God, don't worry about it, and sends Moses back. God will often wait until we are beyond our own abilities. Therefore, when he works, he gets all the glory for everything that he does. And that nobody can say anything different. And with Abraham it was the same. As David Gusick wrote, he says a resident or a sojourner is evident in that time. The way they talk, the way they dress, their mannerisms, their entertainment, their citizenship and friends. All speak of, of their native home. If someone is the same in all of these areas as natives, and they are no longer sojourners. They are permanent residents. Christians should live as if we are a permanent resident of the kingdom of God and not a permanent resident of this earth. And the reason that he was able to continue is found in verse 10. Look there with me. In verse 10. For he was looking forward. Underline that if you are one who likes to defile your Bibles. Highlight it. Make a notation of it. Because this is the key to it all. He was looking forward. And this isn't the same as, oh, I'm looking forward to that special event. I'm looking forward to going on vacation. I'm looking forward to head down to the uh, Disney World. Right, Haley? I'm looking forward to this. No, it's more than that. This looking forward in the Greek means that he is able to wait patiently where he is for God to lead him in the next step because his eyes are fixed on the forward momentum and what God is still yet going to do in the future. He's confident and I'm waiting here and my waiting here is not doing nothing My waiting here is being patient on God. I am convinced after 20 years of being a pastor that the hardest answer that we can receive from God in our prayer life is the answer, wait. Yes is good. No is kind of hard, but at least there's a finality to it. But when God says wait, that's when the difficulty comes in. Well, how long, God? And nothing comes. Waiting, what am I waiting for? Well, nothing comes. God just says, Wait on me. In fact, when you get to the Psalms, David often talks about his personal struggles with waiting on God. And he always starts in the beginning of the Psalm and he's grumbling. He's like, well, I'm waiting on you, but the wicked are prospering and the people are surrounding me and my circumstances are going sideways and everything's good. And then by the end of the Psalms, he like talks himself out of it. He goes, oh, but the Lord is so good, I'm just going to wait on Him. It's just like, really, David, if you started at that point at the beginning, you wouldn't have had to go through that. Waiting is tough. But often, that's what God requires us to do. I don't care if it's waiting for uh, a job. I don't care if it's waiting for an open door of ministry opportunity. I don't care if it's waiting for... uh, something that you desperately desire and want i don't care what it's attached to but often god will say wait because he wants to do it in his way not only does he want to do it in his way but he wants to to do it when we are ready when we are ready see he sent moses back at 80 because now moses was ready he was inwardly ready it's a position that only god can see from his perspective when we are ready and abraham now needed to wait but he did so with a certain degree of contentment i would say because of the fact that he was looking forward this is a question that you have to ask yourself this morning are you looking forward and that's where your objective and and uh end game is or are you looking at the moment Because where your focus is, is where your attention will be, obviously. If you're focused on the moment, then you're going to try to make the best of the day each and every day. You're going to try to do what's best for your temporal position and and this world and this life now, but God's perspective is different. And often he would say, wait, and I know you don't understand it, and I know you, you feel like you're doing nothing, but just wait on me. This building that all of you are sitting in. In 2006, I believe, our church was approached by the owner of this building, and they wanted to sell it to us for a certain amount of money. I don't remember what it was at that time, but I I don't think I remember it because I know we didn't have it. And they said, you have a, a church and we have a building, and this seems like it would be a good fit for you. And we prayed about it, and we just didn't feel like the Lord wanted us to proceed. We know that he could have, uh, at that time, provided a loan or whatever it was. And so, but we, he said, we just felt he wanted us to wait. He just wanted us to wait. In 2011, five years later, we were approached again about this building. This time, somebody wanted to lease it to us the lease amount was a fraction of the uh, the cost that the purchase amount would have been. And it allowed us to continue debt-free as a church going forward, just committed to the lease. And so what we were going to do one way, God said, no, no, wait for me and I'm going to do it completely differently and you're going to be in a better position for it in the long run. And that's exactly what happened. And it was difficult those five years. We were you know, bouncing from school to school to school in the Carpentersville area. If you were with us at that time, you remembered. You just drove to one street. We were going to be in one of the three schools on the street at the time. We moved to all three of them. But then God in His grace and His providence just moved us where He wanted us in His time, His way. And we've been here now almost seven years. It's amazing to see what God has done. That's what He was promising to Abraham. Abraham. Abraham was looking forward. I found this interesting observation as I was reading through it that I'd like to bring to your attention this morning. Faith always moves us forward. Looking back does not help us unless it is there for, to help us to develop our faith to move forward. And what do I mean by that? If we're looking backwards, Remember the children of Israel, when they got out of Egypt, they were on their way to the promised land, they got in some difficulties, they they experienced some trials, troubles, and tribulations, and their immediate thought was, let's go back to Egypt. Remember the leeks and the onions. And they're saying, like, leeks and onions are a good thing. I went and looked at a leek. I have no desire to eat a leek whatsoever. None. None. I mean, if if it was Chipotle and Lou we'd have a different conversation. But Leaks. Oh, remember the leeks and onions. Do you not remember the slavery? Do you not remember the backbiting uh, toil that you had to labor under to make the bricks for the cities of Egypt? But what happened is that they were faced with the unknown, they were faced with the trials and troubles and tribulations, and instead of looking forward past those of what God had promised that he was going to do, they stopped there in the wall and they started looking backwards and they became ineffective and it led to unbelief. So we can't look backwards. Jesus said it this way, nobody who has their hand on the plow and looks back can follow after me. Interesting. Interesting. Faith always has us looking forward, and the only time we should look back is to remember the times that God was faithful to encourage us at the moment that if he was faithful back then, he's going to be faithful today to keep us moving forward in the progress. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, for he was looking forward, and he should have that highlighted and noted, because that's our exhortation for today, to that city that has foundations. Interesting phrase. It means that it was established in a manner that will not be moved by anything whose designer or architect and builder is God. He was looking so far into the future and saw that these initial steps that this man made here in Ur of Chaldea and into Haran and now into the land of Canaan were the beginning of everything that God was going to culminate and climax to in the new heavens and the new earth there in Revelation chapter 21 and turn there with me in your Bibles because this is what he was looking forward to. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Just read these with me real quickly. As John is writing there, exiled on the island of Patmos, he writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband Have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Also, he said to John, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, this is Jesus Christ, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers and the sexually immoral the sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death. This is what He looked forward to heaven that then culminates and climaxes in the new heaven and the new earth in which God has prepared for you and I for all eternity to dwell within and with Him. That's the key to it all. He looked forward and he said, regardless of what I'm going through now at this moment and regardless of my limited perspective and my limited insight and the limited information in which God has given me, I'm going to trust him even so. That's what he was saying. And think of how relevant that is for us today. How often we don't have all the details, we don't have all the answers, we don't have all the insight uh, that we desire to have at any particular moment to face the circumstances that we are faced with, and yet I can trust that God does. And therefore, I can walk by faith with Him, even at a time that seems so troublesome and so difficult. As we've continued through this in closing, we have seen that faith is now starting to take shape. For Abraham knew that God called him in Genesis chapter 12. God came to him and called Abraham out of his homeland. I know God is calling me. Abraham believed God that God was capable of providing the promises in which he has made to him. But the faith came in the moment Abraham took the first step out. That knowledge, that belief came to a, uh, a head, a culmination in the, in the momentum of moving him forward by taking that first step out. This is the faith that God wants us to realize. This is the faith that God wants us to have that moves us beyond mere knowledge. It moves us beyond just belief and moves us to the point of action. That what I believe is directly in consistency with what I do. That what I believe is consistent with what I do as an individual. When there is an inconsistency, then you have to ask them to, the question, do you really believe what you say? If they, if an individual say they believe in God, but they don't live for God, they don't care about God or the things of God you have to ask the question, do you really believe in God? Well, that's offensive to me. Well, I'm just asking the question. Because you say you believe all of this, but you don't do any of this. And this is exactly what James was trying to convey in his first letter. When James wrote, which I believe is one of the earliest books of the New Testament, he was trying to describe this new faith. And individuals were talking about works. And James is saying, listen, you will see my faith by my works. It's not the works that justify me before God. It is the faith. But the faith is true and real because of the works in which I do. That's the argument that he's making here. And we see this biblical consistency. Faith moves us. Faith keeps us moving forward in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Number one, I see that he trusted God to have something better for him than what he currently had. I am amazed at what people are willing to trade for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the eternal life that it brings. And if they only knew how uh, pale in comparison those things are to the truth, is there anything in this world I'm asking you who are believers today, is there anything in this world that you would be willing to trade the gospel of Jesus Christ and your eternal life for? Nothing. And yet sometimes we act as if that's the reality. And we live as if we are residents here on this world rather than residents in the kingdom of God. And yes, we have personal responsibility in our residentship here on this earth, But though I am here in this earth, it doesn't mean I'm of this earth. My kingdom lies forward, and therefore I'm looking forward to what God is going to do. I've also understand from this that often it gets worse before it gets better. People come to Christ, they become Christians, and they think everything is going to get better immediately, and then they find out things are getting worse, and they feel like they've got sold a bill of goods, Often it gets worse before it gets better. And number three, I see looking forward is the key to it all. Looking forward allows an individual to live in the temporal eternally with an eternal focus, an eternal goal. I love one writer when he wrote, he sees Abraham as an excellent example, that is the writer of Hebrews, of what he has in mind concerning faith. For the author does not see faith as making a good guess based on some human estimate of the possibilities. Abraham's faith accepted God's promises and acted upon them even though there was nothing to indicate that they would be fulfilled. He went even though he did not know where he was going. He went on to say, to leave the certainty that one knows and go out into the quite unknown, relying on nothing other than the word of God, is the essence of biblical faith, as the author sees it. Throughout the Old Testament, Abraham was remembered and highlighted, as Nehemiah did. You may want to write this down and read it for yourself. Nehemiah 9, 7, and 8 Nehemiah writes, he says, you are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanites. That's the key. He would not have obeyed the divine call had he had not taken God at his word. His obedience was an outward evidence of his inward faith. That's the key, your heart. Will you be faithful to what God has instructed you to do? Will you be faithful to allow God to lead you as he chooses to lead you in where he wants you to go? When I look at this, as we now move into communion together as a church, we celebrate communion as a church to remember the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us that allowed us our new life in Jesus Christ and our new relationship with God the Father. But in this particular illustration and account that we looked at this morning, I see direct correlations and parallels with the Christian life. Just as God called Abraham out of his old life, so has God called you out of your old life. And he says, I have something better for you. I'm not promising that everything in this world will go your way. I'm not promising you that you are going to be exempt from any heartache, pain, or displeasure. But I have something for you eternally that is far better than anything that you'll ever have here on this earth, if you will follow me. But it will require you to leave your old life behind and take that step forward with me and begin to walk with me. The end game, the end result, the end objective is completely definite. But from your vantage point, God knows that it's still a great unknown. For none of us know what heaven is going to be like, but we all look forward to getting there, don't we? We have no idea of what lies ahead. And I think that if God were to tell us, I think we'd all die of heart attacks and be there. All I can tell you is what the Bible tells us is that the streets are made of gold. A... An item that is so coveted here on this earth and so desired by so many people is asphalt in heaven. We're not even going to care about it. I don't don't walk down the street saying, oh, look at that tar job. That's pretty darn amazing. That asphalt perfectly rounded for drainage. I'm not going to walk down the streets of gold and notice the gold. I'm going to walk down the streets of gold and notice the one who's on the throne because that's what matters as Abraham highly valued this place that was to come as his inheritance so should we for the Bible tells us that once we become Christians we are sons and daughters with Christ to God the Father giving us an inheritance along with him and that's what we should be living for that's what we should be moving forward for Allowing God to use us in this time that we occupy this world which is so short in comparison to eternity. And though I have responsibilities and I am to live responsible here on this earth, my heart and my vision should be set on eternity. The decisions that I make today should be weighed in that authority displayed in the Word of God. For this moment is fleeting, as James says, it's but a puff of smoke. Here one minute, gone the next. What are you living for, man? What is in this world that is better than what Jesus Christ can give you? What what do you have that is so important to you? Where do you go when your heart is troubled and your mind is riddled with anxiety and so forth? What do you lean upon in your moments that you need and desire encouragement to go on another step for another day. If it isn't God, I tell you that it's all fleeting and will change from day to day, from moment to moment. But God is the one consistency that we can always count on for he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that consistency, that constant in our life is what can move us forward greatly here in this world. I don't know about you, but I look around the world in which we live and everything's changing rapidly every single day. The world that we know today is not the world that our kids who are young today are going to know 20 years from now. But the one thing that I can assure my child with is that God is faithful and He wants you to have faith in Him.